Well, I'd just like to say welcome back to Liquid Lunch. It's me, Hugh, and Hildegard is here, and uh, we've got Dr. Jerry Martin on the Skype, joining us from just somewhere very close to Philadelphia. And he's the author of this book, God and I Autobiography, uh, as told to a philosopher. And uh, Jerry, we are uh, actually... We're looking forward to this uh, interview. In fact, I'm always amazed by the synchronicities uh, that seem to uh, accompany the show because we had uh, Eunice Algohar, His Holiness, on earlier today. And some of the themes that he was talking about, I think we're going to touch on here uh, as well. Uh, like, for example, the difference between uh, religion and uh, spirituality. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Give us a little bit of a background here, because I I understand you were actually an agnostic. Yeah, I was an agnostic, a philosophy professor, had a whole secular worldview worked out, having a great career, went to Washington at one point, ran a federal agency, National Endowment for the Humanities. I was doing fine, uh, except that I'd been divorced for many years. And this is really where the story begins. One day, the phone rang at my office, and it was Professor Abigail Rosenthal up at, from Brooklyn College up in New York City. I, my, I was based in Washington, D.C., and they had a big problem, and she said, could you help? And I said, yes, that's what we do. It led to a big public controversy that went on for months, and during that time, Professor Rosenthal, Abigail, and I talked really daily uh, and we finally won, won. It turned out to be a big fight, and we won. Uh, but meanwhile, I fell in love with her, sight unseen, on the phone. Uh, and even though none of the talk was really personal or intimate or anything like that, it was all business, but, uh, you know, a, a whole personality came through in working together so closely. And for me, after those many years in, you know, there's kind of in the wilderness of divorce also, or can be, it certainly was for me, um, to have this come into my life, not only I'm kind of a hard pot to find the lid for, and here was the one right person in the whole universe for me, called me on the phone one day and came into my life, and then she, I courted her via Amtrak, she accepted me. I felt such a welling up of gratitude that even though I didn't believe in any divine dimension of any kind whatsoever in the universe, I literally fell to my knees. I just felt this gratitude welling up. I fell to my knees and said you know, an earnest prayer of thanks to whomever or whatever, just a benign universe, but it felt miraculous to me. And about a month later, uh, she was in New York, full-time professor. I was in Washington, full-time job running this organization. We wanted to make one life together. How are we going to do that? Two different cities. We didn't want a commuting marriage, but how else to do it? And again, without any real belief, I prayed for guidance. And two things happened. First, what in old days, they, I guess they would have called a vision, a rising, sparkling, multicolored fountain, kind of like a hologram appeared some feet before my eyes, obviously a very reassuring, you know, an image of vitality and promise, very reassuring answer to my question. And then a voice spoke, and I knew it wasn't me talking. So I said, who is this? And the answer came, I am God. Well, I thought, 
you know, <laughs> here I was an agnostic. I had not much interest in religion, but I knew enough to know there are a lot of religion and a lot of gods, you might say. So I said, you know, drawing on my background, raised in a Christian family and a Christian culture, I said, the God of Israel, I am the God of all. Well, <laughs> whatever those other questions, you know, I forgot about that point. After that, very often, when I prayed, you know, I'd first go through the, the philosophical question, whether to believe this voice, and of course I talk about that in the book, but let's, you know, fast forward. When I would pray, I would normally get an answer, at least very often, get a verbal answer either out there, you might say, or more like God whispering in my, the still small voice whispering in my ear. And then at one point I was told, to go read the foundational scriptures. Of, well, I, I'm skipping one step. I was told by uh, God said, I want you to tell my story. And again, from my Christian background, well, your, your story already been told. Yeah, it needs to be told again, I was told. And in fact, God gave me the title of the book, God and Autobiography, which is literally God's story. It seemed a little over the top to me. So I added as told to a philosopher, because we, of course, don't have God on a tape recorder here. We have my reports of what uh, I, uh, uh, the voice I take to be divine, to be God, tells me when I pray. And um, I was then told, go read the, the early scriptures, the foundational scriptures of the world's many religions, not to pray about, you know, to, to read uh, the Old Testament and the Gospels, not to pray about Christianity and Judaism, and the same with the other religions, the earliest Hindu documents, the earliest Buddha documents, and not all the variants of Buddhism, and so it came later. And, and also some religions that don't have much in the way of living adherence, but are among the early revelations, God's early communications. Uh, and for me, you know, as a philosopher, well, it just seemed natural. I've got God on the line. This is my chance to ask, what is the story? You know, what is the big picture? So I was both guided in what I read, and, and I was just told, read it, and then ask about whatever comes to your mind, you know, what, you're, what you want to know once you read a scripture, or in, in life, what do you want to know? Because I kept asking, you know, what is the purpose of it all? What's the meaning of it all? What is our goal? How are we supposed to relate to you? And to me, there are two main big messages here. One is about that God has been working through all cultures at all times. In fact, to my surprise, we prayed about the prehistoric era and the cave paintings. You know, all the way back, uh, God has been working and communicating with people. And I was told the many ways God communicates that it's, and this, some of your, uh, the people hearing this program uh, uh, must be aware if in their own lives, if they pay close attention. You know, God comes to us in so many ways. I, I was lucky enough uh, to have a voice, which no doubt made a lot of sense if God wanted me to write a book. That really facilitated this. And also, I'm not sure anything more subtle would have gotten my attention. But if you're a little more spiritual than I had been, you can notice in your life sometimes thoughts that come into your mind that in one way just seem like your own thoughts are actually, you know, little divine openings. They're, they're epiphanies that God opens your mind to in a certain way. Sometimes it can just be deep in your gut, you know, that comes to you, hey, this is something I've got to do. 
you know, I've got to help this person, even though it's inconvenient. It just comes to me. This this task has my name written on it. Or doors can open in your life. You mentioned synchronicities earlier, uh, where wow, this this you can call everything you want to a coincidence. Sometimes they're so full of meaning that you have to put two and two together and say these coincidences are telling me something about what I should do in my life. It's kind of like an invisible hand reaching down and you feel pushed in a certain direction. Logical mind says turns left and you don't have time for this. But then there's another little piece of you says, no, you have to go the other way. And then you meet somebody or, you know, a book falls off the shelf or stuff like that happens. And that to me is really the hand of God reaching down to me. Is that your experience? From well, what I, that, I think that's exactly right. And You know, what I take, you know, there's good news in, in the book. Uh, it's disturbing to people who believe there's only one way of truth and they've got it and it's all nailed down and spelled out, but, or, or to the pure atheist. But, this, but the book is, is uh, optimistic and enlightening and empowering to everybody with an open heart and open mind and informative because I'm actually told about the other religion. I'm not given some bland thing, oh, they, are, they all got it all right, or, you know, because there are a lot of crazy religions out there. But I'm told what you do, you look into a religion and see if you can find where was the divine voice in that religion. And because often you look at Hinduism, there, there are spiritual riches in Hinduism. They probably are not in the caste system, that that's a, a social detritus that turned out to be central in their scriptural writing, but it's easy to leave behind and the truth still comes through even better. Uh, but in the book, I'm told, I'm, you know, I ask in prayer, what were you up to with the Hindus here, with the Buddha here, with, uh, with um, you know, the, the, the Jewish prophets, with uh, Jesus and so forth? Uh, that all comes through and... Um, so what is he up to? Would you mind sharing just a little timbits? We don't want to discuss the entire book in its entirety. We want people to read it, obviously. Yes, But right. give us a little, you know, a little teaser. What is no, God up to? What is all of this about here? We had well, His Holiness Janus Algohahi on the show earlier. He travels the planet, coming back, having left Islam behind, and he comes to activate the human heart. But let's yes. find out what God told you, do, do we have to open our hearts? How can we open ourselves in a situation where we are frustrated, we are fearful, we're going through all sorts of mental, emotional, financial, spiritual challenges? How can we hear the voice in the wilderness the way you heard it? Well, uh, the key to me seems to be to get this distractions out of the way. You know, it is a kind of still small voice, or if you put in the image of, of almost feeling a physical little push or tug or something kind of deep in, in your insides, it's, it's generally kind of soft. It's, kind of, it's not a ghetto blaster kind of announcement, is it? What? It's not like a ghetto blaster announcement. God <laughs> has there. a very inconspicuous ways to give our attention. And that's something I prayed about. Why that? Uh, why, why does God seem so hidden, even absent? Uh, and uh, I think I finally figured it out, but that is how it works. And therefore, to hear the divine voice or detect the divine signal, to pick, pick up on it, whether it's inside you or in your environment, to notice that it's there, these coincidences, synchronicities, um, 
You have to get the distractions, the detritus of your life out of the way. It can be a problem uh, for you uh, if you're so distracted by your own situation, by problems, that you can't get that enough inner peace to notice and to contact and to be receptive. Um, and an awful lot of the problem is, frankly, just ego. You know, with some people, they have an embanked set of beliefs that they have a lot of ego invested in. And if anything doesn't fit exactly, you know, their creed, their doctrine, their philosophy, they think that can't be true. Um, so you have to find that place. And the attitude is ultimately, it was, good, it was kind of natural as I look back on it, that I started with a prayer of thanks. That was my first relationship. And it started from my side, but it was just a feeling of, of gratitude. Well, what is gratitude? Gratitude is where you uh, understand your own lack of self-sufficiency, right? And that if something good comes to you, that's a, a blessing. That's something to be grateful for. And it's important to express that, not thinking, oh, what a great guy I must be that this door opened for me, but how wonderful you know, something out there is that the door should open just when I needed it to open. So you know, an awful lot of it is an attitude of yielding. You just have to be willing to yield. You know, um, I think, uh, I mean, Jerry, it sounds like uh, that's a phenomenal experience that you've had. A, falling in love, and B, being in direct, literal communication with God. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I would love to have that experience of... Uh, of uh, being in direct communication with God, like, and I think there's probably a lot of other people out there that feel the same way. But uh, even if they want it, they're not experiencing it. Do you have any like uh, recommendations what people can well, do to have that communication? Yeah, how can you chip away at your conditioning or at your logical mind, the chattering mind that says do this, this, and that? And you, you how can you get to that point of stillness? No. That's not what I asked. Yeah. That's not yeah, what you were asking? Um, Sorry. Let's, let's just get you to get his question clear. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sherry. Okay. The, the, um, I personally, uh, there are whole churches where they're dedicated to everyone trying to hear the voice of God. And some people say they do, and others aren't sure if they did, because <laughs> uh, there's a sort of rivalry there. And uh, they strain a lot. And I, to, uh, I've come to think that's a complete mistake. God came to me in a voice because that's how God chose to come to me. And perhaps it is related to the fact he wanted me to write something. Yet part of yielding is you have to let God come to you however and whenever God does. And, you know, it may not be the way of your choosing. It may be at a time that's inconvenient. So the main thing is to have that open heart, that willing acceptance to pay close attention to what does come up in your life. And, you know, people find, I find prayer a useful um, thing to do. And by prayer, I mean uh, not, you know, saying words out loud so much as getting back, getting myself quiet, opening to God. And uh, if God has something either to say to me 
or to single, uh, signal to me in one of these more subtle ways. You know, sometimes you just get that feeling in your heart, oh, this is the right thing to do. You know, I should propose marriage to her because we're, we're meant to be. And that will just come to you one day and you kind of know it's right. Uh, or you think I've got to get, I, I'm, I've got to stop drinking. <laughs> you know, that's just a problem. So and where do you feel that? Is, where is that in you? And, and I guess it's different in everybody, but where did you feel that when you had this, I have to write this book or I have to propose to this lady now? How did you experience that? Well, uh, in, in the uh, body, it, like. Yeah, you know, for, for me, it was so different because I did have a voice. And others, there's a kind of voice envy that I think people need to set aside. For me, it was with, with, with somehow with Abigail, from the beginning, there was n uh, never any doubt, even before I laid eyes on her, she also turns out to be cute. And I thought, boy, I really lucked out. But um, uh, I already loved her. So, and I, there was no, never any doubt in my mind that I loved so her. So for you, it was auditory. Her. You could hear it. It, but, and then writing the book, I was literally told, I want you to tell my story. And it sounded crazy to me at the time. An awful lot of the book is my resistance. And people will see that. Maybe they can draw lessons from that. But I, each time I resist, I argue back. Some of the things I'm told seem crazy to me. The role I'm given seemed crazy to me. It, it spoiled a great career, you know. But each time, I guess what I would do is after arguing and after complaining, I would yield. And this is what I do when I pray. Sometimes I'm, there's um, two alternatives in front of me. And, you know, should I uh, do this or do that? And maybe I have a strong preference for one of them. And, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please don't make me do the second one. <laughs> you know, these alternatives. But I can't pray effectively until I get within myself an attitude of, okay, I'm completely willing to do either one, and you might say equally willing, you know, that I take myself out of it. I don't have a, I'm not placing bets or have, you know, a dog in that fight. I'm backing off, and whatever God wants me to do is what I have to do. And it's to cultivate that attitude, this attitude of yielding, of acceptance, and then also of um, Finding enough peace through prayer, through meditation. There are a lot of spiritual disciplines. You know, they're good. There's a wonderful literature out there, and I read some of it in the course of doing this, that helps you see the signs and get the st inner stillness. And when you put those together, it's very powerful. Some days I pray myself through the day. And by that I mean, you know, my tendency is to start the day with my to-do list. But there are some days, instead of following my to-do list and then maybe checking in with God at the end of the day or Sunday or something, I say, okay, right now, what do you want? What, after breakfast, what do you want me to do? After that, what do you want me to do next? Well, I tend to get a, uh, a voice, but often it is just a prompting like everybody else, because before I can even get a prayer, the question formulated, it's already, I can always already tell uh, what I should do next. And so I, I go through the day like that. And I tell you what I'm told is um, that, and I was, let me look the exact quote. You, this is what I'm told, the exact quote, God speaking to me. You stand on the threshold of a new spiritual era, a new axial age. Now, if everybody knows that meaning of an axial age, that's a philosopher Carl Jasper's term for that 
remarkable period in early history of civilization when across civilizations that were not much in contact with each other, there were tremendous spiritual revelations, enlightenments, and it's that period that you have the Buddha and Confucius and uh, uh, and uh, the, the prophets and uh, and then a little later Jesus and uh, and others around the cultures. It was a tremendous spiritual eruption of insight and and depth. And what I'm told is now on the verge of another such spiritual revolution, uh, spiritual era. And um, I think it has something to do with the fact that, you know, I'm told in the book how God was working through these different traditions. And then over and over in different contexts, I am told the many ways God comes to us, you know, intuitions, epiphanies, insights, uh, uh, the very fact that we have a conscience, that's where do you think that came from? That's not uh, uh, bi- just bi- biochemistry at work. That's an element of the divine voice in us that just tells us, no, that would be wrong. Um, Socrates heard a voice, and what it would always worked was very much like the voice of conscience. It would just tell him what not to do and kept him from doing wrong things. And he, uh, it was part of why he got into trouble. People did not like this because it didn't fit their idea of piety. Well, we're opening up ourselves to the spiritual riches now, I believe. I mean, this seemed to me the upshot of what I was told, to the spiritual riches of all the great traditions, of God's many divine disclosures. Someone who read this book, he's actually an atheist, but he found the book remarkable. He said, it's a revelation about revelations. And it's not a revelation in the sense God actually used that term speaking to me, and I've uh, tried to uh, be careful in the use of it, because it's not a revelation in the sense of a claim, this is the infallible word, and you've got to start a religion uh, on the basis of it. No, it's like a divine commentary, uh, a retrospective, in part, on what God has been up to through these different religions, and that um, he's been active in them, and you have to just as in your life, you have to look for what's the spiritual voice, what are the prompts for what I should do. When you read these scriptures, you have to read them with an open mind, an open heart, try to get in that attitude where you're open to what the spiritual truth is, and kind of set aside the part that just seems alien because of cultural things. You know, at the beginning, I was put off the the Hindus have a god. He's one of their most popular. He's got the head of an elephant. And I thought, oh, well, that's just ridiculous and awful. Well, that's not the tr- <laughs> that's not the essential element of the stories about that god. And I was told in prayer, well, you're used to, you know, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit coming as a dove and, um, you know, various other images that are familiar in a more Christian culture. Uh, and they're just as improbable. The dove, give me a break. <laughs> but, you know, it's right at uh, Jesus' baptism, for example. So this is their cultural symbol for deeper truths, just as the dove was a certain cultural symbol for different truths. you got to look past those things and tap into what the truth of the traditions is. So it's a rich reservoir of um, spiritual insight. And I, I was told in the book, to start a project called Theology Without Walls. That it's time, you know, what, what, what is theology? Theology should, should be the study of God, the study of divine nature. I'm told, uh, God told me, and this is a quote again from, the, from God speaking, I am a person and also much more than a person. So we don't have to argue person or 
you know, transpersonal. We don't have to have that argument. God is both. And I kept thinking, think more in terms of both and. And the Theology Without Walls project says, let's, uh, you know, the Lutherans do Lutheran theology and the Catholics do Catholic theology and so on. The Hindus do Hindu theology. Let's do theology per se, which the logos of theos, the, the, the best articulation we can come up with of the, um, of the divine nature and drawing from every tradition we have and every source of insight we have. So uh, I, I think that's interesting. You mentioned that this is the beginning of an axial uh, age of, uh, and it kind of reminds me of kind of uh, the Roman Empire before Constantine uh, decided to adopt Christianity. And I think that's what you're talking about because mm-hmm. the, the the old gods of the Roman Empire were, you know, it was kind of crazy like today. So many different cults, different sects, different like new religions and that sort of thing. So um, it seems to me that uh, uh, there's a lot of stress in our culture these days. Yes. And partly because we have such a complex technological society. We've got uh, nuclear bombs. We've got environmental uh, uh, problems. We've got overpopulation. We've got all these things that seem so apocalyptic. Yes. Um, So I'm just curious uh, if this is actually the beginning of a new, you know, age where actually the the uh, the where God and a a true spirituality becomes kind of self-evident. And you've been speaking with God. What does he say about the times that we live in and how are we going to get through this and where are we going? Well, it's not a precise prediction except that, you know, the implications of a new spiritual age. It's not a prognostication, but it's it's a statement of what's going on right now. And what's going on right now is that God is reaching us in new ways, many of which are not recognized. And, and, you know, so the real lessons is uh, if we follow, you might say, the implications of what I'm told in God and Autobiography, uh, then how, how would we be behaving differently? And not, not just, you know, uh, the three of us, but how would people generally start behaving differently? Some of it's happening. We've talked to, there's this phenomenon you read about, those who are spiritual but not religious. There's no reason to be not religious except that, some of the churches are just ritual, and, and you go into them, the spirit really is not there. Uh, I know I had the experience, uh, I became very sort of spiritually sensitive once this uh, I had this experience, and I'm curious now about religion, which I'd never had an interest in. If I'd be traveling or something, I'd be walking by a church, I would just go in. And occasionally I would go in and feel a very powerful uh, divine presence there, sometimes just almost overwhelming. On the other hand, I remember going into one church downtown, uh, Seattle or Portland, I can't remember what denomination, but I walked, you know, got in, I kind of just started looking around a bit. Suddenly, I felt as if there's no air in this room. Uh, I act, literally raced for the door because it was as if the, uh, there's no oxygen. There's no oxygen here. It was just a devoid of spiritual presence, just to, uh, uh, like being in deep space, you know, of, uh, spiritually. And that happened. That can happen to a church. It happens to any institution that loses its spirit. 
And one of the things uh, like young people are looking for, people generally are looking for, is something genuinely spiritual. They may find it in a church. They might find it in a different church from the, the, the one church they're born in or a different kind of uh, religious tradition, or they might find it in completely other places. I mean, I'm told you find uh, that God is also present in, uh, in nature. And by present, it wasn't just, you know, you're looking at the handiwork of God. No, it's more like God is expressing himself in nature. You know, God is, that's, that's, it. that's God's palette. You know, you're seeing his expression the way you would see his handwriting. Uh, God is expressing himself. He's right there present in nature. If you just notice and, and get beyond thinking, oh, what a beautiful sunset and seeing there's something deeper here. Uh, and so that's just one of the many ways I've met conscience, intuition, things coming up in the path of your life, synchronicities, all of these are many ways. And to some extent, you need to not be too narrowly confined to, you know, religion as a creed or religion as a specific set of practices and kind of open your heart a little wider than that. You can continue those things. And that may be how God is most accessible to you. But basically, I think, uh, and I think this is happening, people have to let God come to them where they are, and um, God seems happy to do that if you pay attention. So it's the door through which there might be the opening for a human being to get to an experience, to experience God in a different way. Is that to be one of literally having to ask for help or ask to show me Was that the space you were in in those days? Did you ask for some higher power to come and overshadow your being? Or I'm sometimes wondering, is that there's places devoid of energy, yes. devoid of whatever. And I know as a young child, I didn't particularly like going to churches because they were gloomy places. They were poorly lit. They were in Europe. My experience goes back to living in Central Europe at the time. Uh, it was a scary place. Yes, yes. So well, I, could, I could not see God there at all. But then as a teenager, I heard a, a Dutch musician, Hermann van Veen, talking about the flower meadow. And when I looked at the flowers and the blooming trees, I yes. was in awe. Like suddenly I saw God in that tree. But yes, yes. The, the, the question is, is it something we have to do ourselves? Do I have to be open or ask the question before we can bring such a transformational experience such as yours about? Uh, yes, you do. And something I've recommended to people who um, are in trouble is um, I, I recommend everybody pray. Even if you're not, a, you don't have to be a believer to pray. First times I prayed, I was not a believer in anything. It's just that I had an authentic feeling from my side, first of, of gratitude, and second, puzzlement, what to do, how to solve a, a, a vital life problem. How are my future wife and I actually going to make a marriage, make a life together? So you prayed well, in gratitude, not out of desperation, so to speak. That's right. Like no, many I, people I, pray I a, when I they're desperate, right? They're fresh out of answers, and then we want to pray to God. But in your case, that was not the way it was. First, something, I mean, God gave me the reward first, <laughs> and then the task later. And I've always felt I've got my reward, you know, every day. I look at my wife, when, with whom I'm deeply in love, and I think I, I've got my reward. And in fact, probably in a lot of people's lives, if they realized, 
you know, what blessings they do have. You, you know, you have certain troubles. Uh, you know, maybe you're on, you know, you, you lose your job or something and then you can be financially desperate. But there's also tremendous divine blessings. The very fact we exist, that there is anything at all. Uh, is a divine blessing. And yet that and, seems to uh, be the challenge, though, right, uh, Jerry? When people are in trauma, they're full of fear, they might lost their job, or they're university student and they're overwhelmed with what's going on, they're far away from their friends and family and support system that gave yes. them comfort and safety, and now yes. they are floating there. What, what, what can you recommend to people who are really don't feel, they perceive that there's nothing to be grateful for because everything sucks? Because, yeah, it. they're in they're in the middle of everything that's yeah. horrible, and I, I have a very dear in the hurricane of whatever, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly, something exactly like that. And uh, and uh, you know what useful I could say to her was is, is challenging. I do believe if if it's helpful to people that God is there present in their suffering. And not only present in their suffering, God also suffers. In other words, God didn't just create a universe, a kind of imperfect universe, and leave human beings to flail around in it and suffer when things go wrong. God is right there, present with us all the time, even in those moments that are most desperate, and uh, there as a partner, there to help, And by help, I don't mean the magic rescue, you know, the helicopter comes down from the ceiling and takes you away, uh, but to, to help in the way, you know, how do friends help in suffering? Friends come around, they help by their loving presence. Mm -hmm. And something that's always struck me, uh, I had a minor heart attack some years, and at first I didn't feel up to even talking to anybody. My kids live all around the country and so on. I had no family immediate. Uh, But I noticed when I did call and say, you know, I'm in the hospital, uh, the tremendous uh, resuscitation from just their loving presence via the telephone. And uh, it's just very powerful. And God's loving presence is there. And, um, and there is a future. And if you're angry at God, say you're angry. You know, every, the only good prayer is an honest prayer. And, you know, you don't have to be sublime. You just have to be honest. And if you say, you know, uh, why uh, why are you putting me through this? Because it often feels as if God is somehow doing it to us. Uh, you pray and you say that. Now, my sense of the way the world works is that God does not write the script. In fact, I was given in prayer the image of something more like an improv theater, that we're all playing our parts. God is playing his part. God is sort of like the director of an improv theater where the actors actually aren't listening, <laughs> you know. And so everyone is trying to to uh, muddle through their parts. And, and that's why life is very rough-edged. But that also connects with what the point of life is. Life is a kind of drama. And it has a meaning the way a drama does. And what you really want to do is play your part in life well And that includes those moments of suffering. And uh, I think draw your true friends close to you. Keep your untrue friends away. Because some people, there's a lot of, you know, the schadenfreude where you, you commiserate with someone because you're, it makes you feel that, hey, you're, 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 you're doing swell. And uh, you're actually kind of looking down on them a little bit. And, but you want to bring the true friends in close. And uh, that includes... Uh, keeping the connection through the divine, even in those moments of despair and anger, uh, keeping it alive. 
So uh, we don't have uh, too much time left, uh, Jerry, but actually uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation here, and I'm, re I'm really looking forward now to, to reading the book. Um, and, uh, but I do have a question because, uh, you know, um, uh, most of us are kind of programmed with the, the, religious, the religion that we got as kids or the, sure. or the tradition that we grew up in. Um, and, um, you know, things aren't always so great all the time, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's good people and there's bad people. Uh, I mean, maybe those are just labels we, we tend to use, but, uh, you know, what about the, the whole idea of there being like a devil or the Satan and that sort of thing? Is there anything in the book that, that God told you about, about that whole subject? Uh, yes, there's an awful lot, though not precisely the devil, you know, as a, as a kind of personal figure, um, but about evil. There's a good deal about evil, and uh, one part that comes to mind is uh, that the recognition of evil is itself a spiritual act. Um, because if you don't look at evil through spiritual eyes, you think it's just social maladjustment of some kind, you know. And you have, you really have to, rec what I'm told is you have to recognize evil is actually evil. And what you, if, and you, you love the evil person too, uh, the person who, you know, you can call it uh, the devil or whatever, or however you conceptualize that, however you think of that uh, evil kind of becoming their dominant motive, people who do, uh, and this would be my definition of evil, people who do evil things precisely because they're evil, <laughs> not evil because they want to achieve some other goal, like they're ruthless for power or something, but they, they, they do evil precisely for evil. And, um, and I'm told you should love those people, but if you love them, you try to prevent them from doing more evil, because the worst fate for a human being is to be captured by evil, and you, you, and you have to stop them. Uh, you have to stop them. And uh, I'm actually told that might mean killing them. It's, it reminds me of the old werewolf movies where sometimes the werewolf would say, shoot me with the silver bullet, would say to the woman who loves him, shoot me with the silver bullet so I don't do this anymore. Uh, I'm told uh, kill, killing a person where that's the only way to stop the evil is not unloving. It is quite the opposite. It's a loving act. And I'm also told this would be controversial and difficult, and I, and I ask in the book many questions because it was profoundly disturbing to me, um, about God's incomplete side. And there's one reason the universe isn't just a perfect bubble, um, but is that God, is, is, uh, God has a history. It's God, the book is God and Autobiography. Part of the story is there God has a story. In high Christian theology, God is kind of eternal, immutable, impassive, doesn't have feelings, doesn't have nothing, um, but and almost ends up an abstraction. Um, but the real God is more like the God you see about in, in the Old Testament, in, the, in uh, the, the God who gets angry, you know, the God who's disappointed. At one point feels, it says in the book, I was told this wasn't quite literally right, but that he regretted having made mankind. Uh, he doesn't like it. In the, the prophets, he says, you know, why have you turned against me? I loved you like a husband to his bride, and now you're, 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 you're like a, a whore. You know, you're going uh, whoring after strange gods. Uh, and then God 
says in this is I'm thinking it's Jeremiah, uh, but I will take you back because I love I love you. I'll take you back. Well, this is the kind of God who speaks to me that's robustly personal at the same way he has uh, unfathomable impersonal, you know, dimensions beyond that, and that it's a God who's evolving, and we work in partnership with God in improving the world, for example, and that actually helps God. God and us are developing together, you might say, with God kind of pointing us the way. Wow. Okay. So listen, we're just, we're, we're just, we got to wrap it up here, but uh, I just want to ask you, and we're going to give some contact info uh, so people can get in touch with you, and we want to tell people whether they can get their hands on the book. But and before that, I want you to tell us briefly about the Theology Without Walls project. Well, it's tremendous. I was told one week before one of their—it's a huge organization, American Academy of Religion, 13,000 members, everybody who's in, you might say, the religion business, priests, theologians, you know, ministers, uh, following the research and the thinking. Um, and I was told— I've been attending those meetings, and I'd been t- I was told, go start the Theology Without Walls project, and it's to start thinking about theology as if the divine reality is the subject matter, not one's own specific tradition. So you think, if you were to look across the religions, and what are the greatest insights in the, into the divine reality that you can find here and there across the globe, and then put them together and reason about them and try to articulate a, a kind of vision of the divine reality, what would that be? That that's the real task for the 21st century. If you, if you ask where we're going in our understanding, it would be to putting together out of these fragments, because the, uh, these were all partial communications that the participants took to be the whole and only story, but they're partial. Now we have all the pieces, let's put them together uh, in a meaningful way. And that's that's the project. And I didn't know if anyone would come. You know, I set up a session. It was standing room only, which shows this is, I mean, that's part of the new spiritual era. This is the moment people are ready to do that thing, even people who are actually employed in one of the religions, you know, priests and professors of theology and the like. So is there a way for people to participate? Is there anything ongoing uh, within the project that people can participate in or sign up for? Yeah, for that, there's a Theology Without Walls forum, and a quick search on the Internet should make it easy to find Theology Without Walls forum, and anybody can join up, and there's some materials put there, and we have panels at the meetings, and those are announced at that site. Okay, great, uh, great. And then yeah. and the and, book, where can people get their hands on the book? And, and the book, there, we have a website, www.godandautobiography.com. Dot com, God and autobiography.com. There are selections from the book there. There are some uh, little videos where I, I first tell my story. I think some guy says uh, he's, God talks to him. People are going to want to see that God and try to size him up. Uh, why wouldn't they? Um, and so there are those kinds of materials as well as selections. And I ask people on the site, what is your experience with God? And I get amazing stories, both positive, how God came into their lives or helped them in some way, and sometimes sad or, or difficult. So one man wrote in, I'm hanging on by my fingernails. 
uh, it began. And and I try try to respond to each person who sends in a, co a, a comment, question their own experience or a question about the book. I, I comment, and we have a very interesting discussion there. Wow. Well, I, what a privilege to meet you this way, Jerry. Thank you very, very much. I feel, my, again, my, divine timing had us come together here again. My Thank wife you. just came in and said, you need to tell them they can actually order the book at, uh, at godandautobiography.com. They can pre-order it. It'll be out in about two weeks. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so okay. much. Very, hey, Jerry. wonderful people to talk with. This was great, and uh, if you want to do this again, just let us know because uh, we could probably keep talking about this uh, every day uh, for a few hours every day. So thanks for doing this today. Well, great great to be with you. Okay, thanks. So, well, Hildegard, we're not done yet. We're, we're not done yet. We're going to take we're a little break, back. and we're going to come back with our next guest. Kayla Mulenga is here. Sounds great. We're going to be talking about helping kids, street kids in Zambia. So uh, thanks, Jerry. And uh, we'll be right back here on uh, liquidlunch.channel.com.